Welcome to Evangel Church, where we believe in seeing changed lives changing lives. If you have your Bibles, church, open with me to Exodus chapter 16. Has God convicted you this week of anything? I think the conviction of God is important. I think it's important for us to recognize when God's speaking and when God's doing something. And uh, I could have a plan. I have a plan normally saying, here's what I feel God wants me to share. And I could get excited about that. Um, but there are times where God just kind of changes that or even convicts in my heart and says, change course. Turn, turn, turn away. Uh, you're, you're missing. You're not fully tapping into it. And I had a message today um, that I wanted to bring to you that goes along with our series entitled, We Can't Stay Here. This is a series about movement, about how God is leading us uh, into greater uh, places, into a new seasons. It's one for somebody, maybe you've been stuck somewhere, as we talked about last week, um, or you've been uh, really wandering and wondering where you're going. For some that have been trapped in complacency, God's saying, we can't stay here. He's opening a new way. He's leading us somewhere. And so this is a message of preparation for our hearts and for our lives to be ready to move with God. I want to move where God moves. I want to go by his spirit. I want to move by his presence. That's so important that he teaches us, church, what it means to look like that. Because a church that moves with the presence of God is a church that experiences power and experiences fullness and experiences everything that God has for them. And so we want to be that people. We want to be them. And uh, so I had a message for you thinking, you know, we're, we want to understand from God's word because if we're going to move where God wants us to get to, between here and there, there is the land that is between, the place between. We know that as wilderness. That's what the Bible describes as wilderness, the place between the promise and the promised land. Uh, that is a wilderness. That is the land between. And it's important to navigate that space well because it's in that place that you're going to be tempted and tested and pressed and doubting and caught. You'll see things come out of your life that you would be surprised by. And so I came to this message and I said, I want to bring a word, Lord, from your word that would just teach us how we could just survive the wilderness. Doesn't that sound all right? That we could just kind of survive in the midst of the wilderness. And, and as I prayed and came towards the end of the week, this is what I felt the Lord put in my heart. I have not given everything I've given so that you could survive the wilderness. I've given it so you could thrive in the wilderness. So that you don't just survive and just kind of just get through it, but that God has something that can make us alive even in places where everyone and everything should be dead. Uh, that's the whole idea of the wilderness. No one's meant to survive the wilderness, and yet there's a people that God is causing to thrive even in the wilderness. And he has this for his children. So would you just come to God's word with me and let's just pray. Lord, we give you this word right now, Lord, I, I feel um, an urgency in my heart to deliver it, and I just pray that you would take these next moments ahead of us, Lord God, and you would just seal this word in our hearts. In Jesus' name, amen. Amen. Let's pick up from where we were last week. We were, again, I said number 16. Last week, we were in numbers 15. I'm not numbers. Uh, Exodus. Uh, I was in numbers here in my Bible as I was turning. Uh, Exodus chapter 16, and we caught up with the children of Israel coming out of the Red Sea out of Egypt, rescued God's miraculous hand upon their lives. And then they found themselves in the wilderness of Shur. Someone say Shur means wall. Um, and there they got stuck in a place called Mara. Mara means what? 
bitter, in a bitter place. I know what that's like. You know what that's like. Maybe you're in or have been in that better place. But Elam was right around the corner. Elam was the, was the oasis. Elam was a place of refreshing. Elam was the place of life. God had to bring them through Mara to get to Elam. Because God was going to do something and, and break something and train something and shape something in Mara. Know that even in the bitter seasons we might walk through, God is at work redeeming, restoring, and even shaping. As long as we don't get stuck there. The children of Israel got stuck in the wilderness. We want to not just get stuck. We want to move through it in the way that God would have. And as they go in from the wilderness of Shur, they come out of Elam. They're in another wilderness. It's funny. I've heard it said that you're either coming into a storm, going out of a storm, or in the midst of a storm. As we read about here in the scripture, you're going to see that's like they're either coming out of a wilderness, they're going into a wilderness, they're in the midst of a wilderness. Those things will happen from point to point as God's leading us on the journey. So they leave Elam, this place of refreshing. The Bible says in Exodus 16:1, the whole Israelite community set out from Elam and they came to the desert of Sin. Uh-oh. Which is between Elam and Sinai. And on the 15th day of the second month that they had come out of Egypt. In the desert, the whole community grumbled against Moses and Aaron. And the Israelites said to them, if only we had died by the Lord's hand in Egypt and they set, where we had pots of meat and we ate food that we wanted. And, and you, you know, but you brought us out here in the, in the desert to starve this entire assembly to death. You know, it's in those moments where it just seems like the plan has failed. I mean, God used up all his miraculous work to part the Red Sea because now it feels like it's kind of sputtering. He's kind of, we don't know where he is. He's not showing up. And now we're all starving. Where, what happened? When we were in Egypt, we had it better. When we were in Egypt, we had meat. When we were in Egypt, we had roofs over our head. When we were in Egypt, we, we slept in shelters. When we were in Egypt, it wasn't this hot. I mean, we were able to find some relief. There are going to be times in your life when you're going through trials that Egypt looks better than your current circumstances. That where you were and where God found you and where God rescued you from, be careful. Be careful in those moments. Because in the same way that people talk about the idea of a mirage coming up in the wilderness and in the desert, that it paints a false picture of something that isn't really there, uh, the enemy has that same way. And I think wildernesses have that same way of just causing us to, to miss it, causing our sight to get blurred and distorted and miss what God wants to do. It's in the wilderness, the desert of sin that the children of Israel begin to sin. They begin to sin against the heart of God. They begin to sin against each other and against their leaders. They begin to miss the mark. They miss the mark so bad that what should have taken them, some, some scholars would say 11 days to pass through, they got stuck in the wilderness for 40 years. There's something that God has ordained and he had ordained to be much shorter, but the season is being spread out. And this is because of their disobedience, because of their sin, that they wander in the wilderness and they're wandering. But I want you to know God has made it possible to even in the midst of the wilderness, even in a dry place, God can be doing something amazing. He brought them through that wilderness for a purpose. And remember this, God is working in the wilderness. God is working in the wilderness. God can work out his perfect will, his perfect pleasure. And sometimes it's not in the high, high tops of mountains and in the land of Elam that God's great work can be done. That's the place of refreshing. But sometimes the greatest work happens under the greatest fire, under the greatest trials, in the greatest place where there is nothing to la where there is nothing to find. Sometimes you don't know that God is all you need until you realize He's all you have, right? Like sometimes you won't never recognize He's all you've ever needed until He's all you have. 
They don't have anything else. They don't have roofs of their head. They don't have um, a lot of money. They don't even have, they burn through all their food rations. But all they have left is God. You know what's beautiful? When you, all you have left is God, you have everything you need. <laughs> you have more than enough. I'm going to tell you, you can have the whole world and not have God. You are lacking. You're lacking. You're lacking. So God's working on them in the wilderness. It's in that place that the wilderness is a place of development. I was talking with Pastor Marsha between services and was reminded of a, a process that maybe we've all forgotten about. Um, right now we have, uh, we have these phones and we take all kinds of pictures. We can take more pictures than we've ever wanted to. Uh, but anyone here, if you're like under 25 years old maybe, uh, there used to be this thing uh, called a camera. Uh, and you took it and it had this thing called film inside of it. And you had to roll it and ch 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 and it clicked, and when it clicked, it stopped. That meant it's loaded for a picture, and you'd take all these pictures. I heard a pastor this weekend talking about the idea back then you were taking pictures by faith. We had way more faith. You're taking, you have no idea if any of them are even going to show up, uh, because then you had to take that film, and you had to bring it to somebody else. So like, not you don't just take the picture, look at it, figure out if it's good, and take another one. You go through this long process. Somebody say process. And you go, and then you have to go, and you have to give it to somebody. And then they take it away from you, and they go into a back room that's very dark. And that's where the film, the picture, is fully developed. It's in that place that all the color comes to life. It's in that place that what was unclear and dark becomes very clear and vivid. And if you leave it in the place of development long enough, then you have something fully developed that comes out and tells the story. But if you take it out early, it's blurred. It's, it's faded. It doesn't have. Uh, development is important. I want you to know the wilderness is God's place of development. It's a place that we can go away to. We're out of everyone else's eye. We're hidden away. It's in the secret place that God is doing some of his greatest work. Think about it, Moses. We don't think about this often. But before 40 years in the wilderness, Moses was alone for 40 years in the wilderness. Before he ever came and God led him, used him as a leader to lead the people out of Israel, he had fled into the wilderness. He spent so much time in obscurity in the wilderness. God was at work preparing him to be the leader God wanted him to be. When Jesus, the son of God, came to this earth, he spent 30 years in obscurity before he began his earthly ministry. The father was at work. Before King David became King David, he was being formed on the backside of nowhere. He was still being formed so much that when the prophet came to town to anoint a king, they didn't even think it was necessary to call him in to the family. They looked at every other brother and said, is there another one? The one that's out there in the field, they could have said in our time, the one that's still back in the lab being developed. Him, you want me to pull him up? Yes, because I'm developing him behind the scenes. Look what I'm doing. Look and I'm proving. So it's in the wilderness that God's developing something beautiful. It's if we allow that to happen. But you know what happens? We want this now. Snap, see the picture. This isn't how God works. His ways are not our ways. Uh, he's not Steve Jobs. Uh, he's, not, he's the one that develops and he does it in his own timing. And we have to have patience in the process. Because I want to tell you, we want to bypass the process. We have billions of dollars being spent every year. And I think about some family members. I think about um, my uncle-in-law, Dave, who works for Johnson & Johnson, some others. They create technologies and things in some of these just to make the process quicker. All right, it takes this long to get a result of some. No, no, we're going to take, I, I want it to take three seconds. It's supposed to take three weeks. No, I want it to take a minute now. And we're just working on advancing technology. Why? Because we don't like there to be that gap in the process. We want it to happen quickly, 
instantly at the, at the edge of our finger. If you start to approach your relationship with God in that way, you're going to be very disappointed because God processes things over time. He builds us over time. There are certain things you, you just cannot rush the process in. And when we do, we're missing out on what he has for us. We won't thrive. We won't be fully alive. And so we're going to learn together what it means to really thrive in the wilderness. And there's some things that I want us just to apply to our hearts and to our lives. And I'm thankful that when we get through God's word, if you'd read in Exodus, you really do not see a picture of a people that are thriving in the wilderness. You just don't get that picture. If we go through just the Exodus account, we're going to see a picture of failure and we have to learn from all the mistakes. But aren't you thankful that Jesus came and he showed us the way? He showed us the truth. He showed us the life. And one of the greatest pictures that we receive is at the end of Jesus's 30 years of obscurity before he enters into his public ministry. Don't you know that one of the last things that he does is he goes out into the wilderness for 40 days and 40 nights. He goes into the wilderness and it's in the midst of that that we think, well, he's just being there for, you know, it's just a part of the story. There's something so powerful, so profound that is taking place. Literally, Jesus is going back through the wilderness to enter back in to human, the human story and to overcome every obstacle that man had failed in, to overcome every area that man had sinned and fallen away. Jesus comes and he shows us what it looks like to thrive in the wilderness. He thrives in the wilderness and overcomes the enemy at every turn. Flip with me to Matthew chapter 4. That's in the New Testament. Matthew chapter 4, this is the end of Jesus's um, really his time in, in, in that development and growth before he breaks out into his earthly ministry. And it's here that the Bible says that Jesus, in Matthew 4.1, was led up by the Spirit into the wilderness to be tempted by the devil. We don't have to go too far into this passage to realize God can work in the midst of the wilderness that the wilderness can be a part of God's plan. Some of you are like, Pastor, I don't receive that in Jesus' name. I will not, I will not, I will not. Um, it says here, does it say that Jesus was led up by the devil into the wilderness to be? Who, who led him? The Spirit led him into the wilderness like that. Okay, I think that's a typo in the Bible. I don't know about that. I can't see how God could be in the midst of the wildernesses that I find myself in. I'm not saying he's there and he's the one leading you into everyone, but I, I do know this, that God has a way of working in the wilderness. He even led his own son through the wilderness if he has a greater purpose. Sometimes his purpose is on the other side of the wilderness. It's through the, the victory that will come in the midst of those trials, what he grows in us in the midst of that. So this happens, and Jesus is tempted by the devil. We learn something here because we see this, and this seems all about the devil and Jesus. But I want you to know something, that God had a plan a purpose for the wilderness. He had a purpose for the pain, for everything that was about to happen over the next 40 days. For that wilderness season, God had a purpose for it because he's the one that initiated it. But I want you to know the reason why we keep seeing the devil showing up is because he also has a purpose for the wilderness. We have two plans that are in conflict to one another, two missions that are there. When you walk through the wilderness, God has a plan in the midst of it, but I also want you to know that the enemy of your soul has a plan in the midst of it. It's a place where you become vulnerable, and he wants to take advantage of that vulnerability. He did it among the people of Israel in the, in the book of Exodus, but Jesus overcame in every way. We know the enemy's plan. It's to kill, steal, and destroy. But Jesus said, I've come that you might have life and have it abundantly. Remember that. And when we walk through these seasons, God has a plan. He has a plan. Don't forget it. The enemy has a plan as well. Don't give in to it. 
So Jesus is there. He's fasting for 40 days and for 40 nights, and he became hungry. These 40 days and 40 nights symbolize the 40 years that the children of Israel were in the wilderness, where tests and temptations came, where they failed the test time and time again. And now as Jesus is hungry, as he's vulnerable, it says, the tempter came and said to him, if you are the son of man, I command, then command these stones to become bread for you. Temptation comes when we're vulnerable. Bad things happen when we become vulnerable. And my wife and I learned something in premarital counseling, that there are four words that form one word um, that we need to be very careful of. It's H-A-L-T, halt. We need to stop when these things happen. If we are hungry, angry, lonely, tired. If we're any combination of these, um, it might not get good. It might not be good. We need to be careful. We need to guard ourselves in those moments. Anyone know what I'm talking about? Hungry, angry, lonely, tired, halt. Stop. Stop. Don't keep going in that argument. It's not going to be good. Uh, don't. Someone has coined this new phrase, hangry, if you're hungry and angry. I learned that from a couple I was working with recently. Hangry. Uh, anyone else get hangry? You know what I'm talking about? The children of Israel, they were hangry in the wilderness. They're very hangry. They're like, that's the grumbling that was coming. They're hungry and angry. They're also lonely. They were alone uh, and they were tired. They were walking for a long time. So they were halting. Jesus became hungry. The tempter came and said, just make some bread. You, you can do it. Just provide for yourself right here. You have the power to do it. Just command these stones to become bread and sustain yourself. Provide for yourself. And Jesus, in that moment of temptation, knew. He knew that he knew. He looked to God's word, and here's what he said. Man will not live on bread alone, but every word that proceeds from the mouth of God. Jesus is quoting Deuteronomy chapter 8, verse 3. Here's what it says. It says, this was God's humbling act. When the children of Israel were in the wilderness, it was God's humbling act that the people became hungry, and God provided for them manna so that they knew they could not live on bread alone, but every word that comes from the mouth of God. See, God provided for them something. When they were hungry in Exodus 16, the Bible says God made a way. He said, I'm gonna, I'm gonna rain down manna from heaven. Manna came down and it came down like dew in the morning. And as it settled, as it, as it was there on the ground, it came up kind of like scales and the people could take it and eat and it would sustain them. Look what it says in Exodus 16, 14. It says, when the dew was gone, thin flakes of frost on the ground appeared on the desert floor and the Israelites saw it and they said to each other, what is it? They didn't know what it was. That's how manna got its name. It's kind of like, what is it? What is that? It's God's provision. Sometimes God's provision doesn't look the way you'd want it to look. Uh, if it was me, I want some filet mignon, some tenderloin growing out of the ground. You know, uh, I want shrimp Thursday. I want, you know, whatever. Uh, but every day, without fail, God said, I'm sending, I'm sending your provision. And it might not look the way you thought it would look. You may question it and not know what it is, but it's my hand providing for you because we're in a wilderness where there shouldn't be any life. I'm giving you bread from heaven. I'm giving you manna. And he says, you have enough for every single day. So you go out there, you take what you need for the day, but it's only for that day. Don't collect for the month. Don't collect for the week. Don't do it. It's for the day. You say, well, how cruel is God to do that? That he would give them what they need for the whole time. Sustain them. No, because God's teaching something, but there's something behind the man. It's about more than manna to God. It's about dependency on him. Are you going to trust me every single day or not? And so the people are getting the manna. And some of them, they don't, they don't listen. They take more than they need. Guess what happens the next morning? It turns into maggots. It starts to rot. 
So they learn the lesson pretty quickly. We got to take our daily bread. I want to tell you something. We have a journey that we're taking. If you want to thrive in the wilderness, there's the first thing that you need. I have my little bag here for the journey. You need daily bread. Come on, somebody. You need some daily bread. Somebody say daily. Bread. We need daily bread. He said, take it that day. Don't hold it. Don't keep it. Don't eat it. Consume it. Let it nourish you. Let it sustain you. It's my provision for you every single day. Jesus taught his followers to pray what? Give us this day. Some of you, you know, I heard a pastor just say this. We, we wish it was give us this year, our yearly bread, right? Like, come on, uh, Lord, when you provide me a job, you know, I, I like when it's a job for a year and I know I'm making this much in a year. Like, I like, like, give me a yearly provision, daily bread. I mean, we're not even conditioned in this culture to even think about the idea that every single day you might not know where your meal is coming from. Every day is a day where you're wondering where your provision is going to come from. I don't know if there was a time in your life, maybe you worked day to day. You weren't sure if you had a job tomorrow. You weren't sure if you'd be able to feed the family. And so you're just working, just doing whatever you can, just trusting it's going to be enough. This is what God was teaching them in the wilderness. Daily bread. And it would rain down from heaven. It'd be there. They'd collect it on the Sabbath. They'd collect two so that they, the day before, so they could eat there and not have to work and collect on that day. He was teaching them something about his heart and his provision. So when the enemy of our soul comes to Jesus in the wilderness and he says, turn these stones into bread, he's really wanting Jesus, the son of God, to doubt his father's provision, to doubt that God is really a provider and that he is our source. I want you to know that when you go through those wilderness experiences, this will be one of the tests that come into your life, that there will be a desire for you to be self-sustaining, self-providing, reaching to do it on your own, and it will weaken your dependency on God for daily bread. And you say, well, uh, you know, I mean, I have enough food in my house. I'm not talking about food anymore. We've shifted from that. Uh, the daily bread that God wants to nourish your soul with isn't going to be found at Costco or Wegmans or uh, some bakery. The bread that he has for your soul is his word. It's his provision to you. His word is our daily bread now that we can come to his word. We can receive from his word. And here's what I felt the Lord put in my heart as I was thinking about this. Because every day we're meant to come to him, to receive first from him. He says we don't receive from bread. We receive every word from the mouth of God. Like we're, That's our first and foremost, that's our first provision to us. And through that, we then trust God for every other provision in our lives. This is what God said to me, and I, and I hope it will help you. Stop looking at my, my daily bread and start consuming my daily bread. And so for me, what that means, as I just sense that in my own heart, is there are times we'll come to God's word and we'll just look at it. We'll just take a verse and we'll just kind of look at it. And yeah, oh yeah, that's good. God says, break it open. Dig in it. Dig into my word. Be nourished by my word. I would take a big bite of this and I wouldn't be able to talk for a couple minutes. And I have to drink. <laughs> I want to though, right? Be nourished by my word. Consume my word. And I do think that's different. I think it's digging in. I think it's, it's really as we're reading and as we're just letting that connect to be nourish us. It's not just a, a truth. Oh, that looks nice. No, the manna could look as nice as it wants to. If it's sitting on the shelf, the word of God looks great sitting up there, but open it up and consume and find what you need. God has something for you every single day. His mercies are new every morning. When, when we're not even in the word, 
whenever we're not diving, when we're not finding this, how can we really say to ourselves that we're, that we're allowing God to give us our daily bread? We're rejecting the manna every single day, and we wonder why things stink. We wonder why things feel pretty rotten. Take in the manna. It's of no, of no value to anyone when it's sitting on a shelf. God said it just rots. We lose it. We lose that provision. God has something for you every single day. Stop losing it. Stop losing out on it. Take it and receive it from him. It's the first thing we need if we're going to thrive in the wilderness. So then the enemy took him up and put him uh, in front of a holy city and he had him stand at the pinnacle of the temple and he began to speak to him in verse six and said, if you're the son of God, then throw yourself down. And God said he's gonna give his angels charge concerning you and that your hands will be bared up by them and you won't even strike your foot against a stone. He said, go ahead, Jesus, throw yourself down. There's a test that's here. There's a temptation that's come. And, and what the enemy is getting at is he wants Jesus to begin to doubt God's presence, where he is. So the first one is he's doubting God's provision. Now it's will you doubt that God is even present with you. In the same way, feel, feeling abandoned, feeling alone, feeling there. He's 40 days, 40 nights. And it's like, look, you want to be reminded and just test God. Just throw yourself off there and see, is he really present or not? There are going to be times that you just wonder that just thought, God, have you just forgotten about me? Have you just kind of missed it here? I'm in the midst of this, and, and I just feel this is so off course. This is so different than where I thought I would be in this moment. God says, don't test me. Trust me. Trust me that I'm here. Trust me that I'm with you. Trust me that I'm leading you. Trust me. And Jesus will not allow that test to be failed. He said this, you shall not put the Lord your God to the test. Jesus knew better than to test God in that way. And when we come to those temptation moments in the wilderness, you're going to be pressed to see, is God still with me? God showed it to his people. He showed himself faithful to them. The Bible teaches us in, in chapter 13 of Exodus that he put a pillar of fire and a cloud before them and they were led day and night by the presence of God. So if they needed to know, they needed to stop looking at their circumstances, at their growling stomachs back in Egypt, all they had to do was look at the pillar and the cloud and know God's presence was still with them. I want you to know something today. We... As believers in Jesus Christ need to know that God has made his presence available to us. We had something so powerful that happened 2,000 years ago when Jesus was crucified for the sins of humanity. There's something that happened in the Bible that we have to recognize it and remember it as so vitally important. It said that there was a veil in the temple in the innermost part that was torn in two from top to bottom. That was the place where God's presence dwelled. Do you know why it was torn from top to bottom? Is because God's presence now enveloped. It broke out of there, spread into every heart, into every life. It would not be contained within one place, but now the very presence, power of God dwells in us, the Bible says. The same power that rose Jesus Christ from the dead is alive and at work in us. That we don't have to travel to Israel, to any other place, to be in the presence of God. Jesus said, we're two or more even gathered. I'm with you in a special way. Like we can be in the, we are in the presence of God right now. And as you drive to work and as you're in a wilderness experience, know that God's presence is there with you. He hasn't left you. The Bible says, where can I go? Where can I flee from your presence, Lord? I can't. I can go up, down, I can go anywhere. I want you to know that is inclusive of your trial, your circumstance, your wilderness. God's there. 
He's there. The, the, the psalmist is clear. I can't flee from your presence, Lord. You're with me. I love Psalm 23. If you, if you need some daily bread each day, just to be reminded that his presence is with you. Look to Psalm 23 and just remember that you are one of his sheep, that he is your good shepherd. It says, I want for nothing. He leads me beside the quiet waters in green pastures and he, he allows me to rest. He restores my soul. And even if I walk through the valley of the shadow of death, the deepest, darkest valley we could ever imagine, I don't fear anything because you're with me. God hasn't even abandoned us then. He's always with us. So what do we need for that? Here's what we need. We need some binoculars. Okay, pastor, where are you going? I, I was with you on the bread, but uh, I was going to go to the store and buy some really cool ones, but they're kind of expensive. So I rented these from my daughter's playroom. <laughs> you want to know what these do? They have the power to magnify whatever you're looking at. We talked about this last week, that the longer you're looking at your circumstance, but whatever you're staring at, it just kind of begins to grow. When we look here, we're magnifying. And if, if last week we applied God's word that we're going to put our eyes on Jesus and look to him, now we're magnifying Jesus. We're magnifying the Lord. We're magnifying, we're lifting him up. It means we're elevating him. We're, we're, mag we're making him greater than anything else. And we're fixing our eyes on him. I wish, uh, I wish I had heard a message that I just heard on Friday a little earlier uh, because it's a great reminder as well. Um, I would have pulled out a little lion or something like that. I don't know. But I heard a pastor that spoke this last weekend. And he talked about we have to look at life through the eyes of a lion. Um, and some of you are like, what does that mean, pastor? Well, lion's eyes are so incredibly um, fine-tuned. They can see clearer. They can see brighter. They can see at night. They can see further. There, there are so many things about that that allow uh, six times greater than our eyesight is the eyes of a lion. And so he uses this idea that we need to look with eyes of faith. That's what we're talking about here. We have to look and lift up. And when we're magnifying the Lord, where our faith is rising, we're seeing him as greater. We're trusting in him. And we have to look there. We have to look to him, look to his promises, look to his faithfulness in our own lives and just elevate. That's magnify the Lord. Psalm 34, three says this, oh, magnify the Lord with me. Let us exalt his name forever. I want to tell you something. When you begin to just magnify the Lord in the midst of the wilderness, you'll see a refreshing that comes into your heart. You'll see a sustaining power that's in you. You'll see that the trials that you're facing are light and momentary compared to the glory that's being revealed. That's why Paul could say things like that. He's in prison. He's like, this is nothing. I've magnified the Lord. I see him. I see what he's doing. When we do that, we lift him up. This is what happens. So we need to magnify the Lord together. And so we need some binoculars. We need to just enlarge our focus on him. As we continue forward, we see that there's a third occurrence of what happens. Pastor Rick, you can come on up. The devil took Jesus and brought him up then to a very high mountain. And he showed him all the kingdoms of the world, all their splendor, everything. And he said this, I will give it all to you if you'll just bow down and worship me. The final thing the enemy wants to do is he wants to give, get Jesus to give up on the mission, to give up on the cross, to give up on the suffering, to bypass all of that. I want you to know something today. The temptation that you have some to bypass the process that's painful right now, it, it's, it, it's the enemy wanting you to bypass the growth that God wants to bring into your life, to bypass the blessing that God wants to grow in you because of what you're walking through. And it's like, Jesus, there's something so painful ahead of you. 
but I'm going to give you all. You'll be the King of kings and the Lord of lords of all that you can see. Just worship me. Just worship me. Just don't go to the cross. Don't do that. Abandon the mission and just come to me. Jesus rebuked him. He wouldn't give in. He stayed focused on the plan. He said this, Be gone, Satan. It is written, You shall worship the Lord your God and serve him only. I want you to know that the enemy wants nothing more than you to doubt in your wilderness experience that God still has a plan worth following. You may think he has a plan, but is it still a plan worth following for you? And there's going to be this test that comes, this temptation that comes into your mind. Maybe God's done. Man, I've been in the wilderness too long. Man, I, I, I feel that, you know, God would have done it by now. I feel like God birthed vision and dreams in my heart. And there were things, and it's been so many years. It's been decades, and nothing has happened. And I've been suffering. And I got this health diagnosis. My life is over. I want you to know something today. God is no respecter of persons. He's no respecter of age. He doesn't see seasons like you do. For some of you today, as you trust God and he leads you through this season, you may be walking into the greatest season of blessing, effectiveness, fruitfulness in your entire life. And you'll say, but I'm, I'm this age. How could that ever be possible? If you think that you're too old to experience the promise and purpose of God afresh in your life, let me introduce you to a man named Abraham or a man named Moses or someone who would have thought, man, they were long gone. God isn't done with you yet. Don't doubt the purpose that God has in your life. Man, there's be somebody in this house. I just feel my, God's going to birth your most impactful season of ministry and fruit in his life. And it will be in your 70s or 80s. I, I'm telling somebody today, it'll be so long after you thought you were done that God's going to birth something in your heart. So get ready, lean into it. Just allow God to use you for his glory. So they want to doubt God's plan, doubt, doubt God's purpose in their life. Don't give up on that. God has a plan for some of you. You've been running from it. And as we sang today, God's love is running after you. He's looking to take uh, you and, and, and lead you and guide you. And so the final thing we need is we need to be plugged in. We need to be connected to him. We need to be connected to his presence every single day. I said, if we're going to thrive in the wilderness, it's about all of these things happening every single day for us to be pressed into the presence of God, to be connected to his presence. Jesus went away and prayed. Why? He was connecting with the presence of the Father. He was getting into the presence of the Father. He was fighting for that time to be alone with God. He was there that he was worshiping the Father. He was seeking him. You need daily time of connection to God. Without that, you have no power in your life. The enemy will sell a false bill of goods he says, you have all the power you need. Just worship me. Just plug into me. Just look to me. Just find your satisfaction in me. Find your joy in me. It's a false power that we, we, we get so seduced by today. Some of us, I'm sure you are confident to say this. I am not in fear that anyone's going to leave here today or in the midst of your wilderness, you're going to begin to worship Satan or the devil, that you're going to begin to go to some satanic church or something. And get, you say, Pastor, can, can I get an amen that no one's in risk of that in, in this house? We say, I'm not going to do that. But here's the deal. He doesn't need you to turn 180 degrees to him. He just needs to get you 10 degrees off God. He just needs to get you turning your attention to the things of this world. He wants 
to get your turning attention to material things, of power, of status, of, of just finding ahead. And you think in all those ways, I'm still somehow honoring God. I'm not turning to, I want you to know, he's, he's, he's one that just wants to get you off course enough. And if he can get you 10 degrees, 20 degrees, if he can just get you turning and sinning over here and just missing over there and just satisfying yourself, he's got you. The enemy made it clear, but I want you to know when we turn to the things of this world, when we, when we take our focus, our attention, when we stop worshiping the creator and start worshiping the creation, we're missing in the same way that the children of Israel were as well. You may think, I'll never build that golden calf. Maybe you already have. I'll never, I'll never erect that idol, Lord. I'll never do that. I'll never do that. Maybe you already do. Maybe, you know, like, like we're ready. The iPhone X came. Are you ready to sell your child for that? You know, like, like this new piece of technology comes out. It's like, oh, like I'll give anything for that. This new picture of what it means to be something or someone, it grabs your affection. You just want everything to be that, them. It's the enemy at work. He's trying to get us distracted from God, from what God has for us. The greatest way to overcome that is to just be connected to him daily to plug in with him. Set a place, set a time, make it consistent. As you do that, as you get in the presence of God and fight for it, you'll see God renewing you. You'll see yourself thriving where you were merely surviving before. We need our daily bread. Somebody say daily. We need to consume it daily. We need to have eyes that are of faith, that magnify God. We need to get connected to the presence of God every single day. When we do that, it doesn't matter what season you're in, you're going to thrive. You're going to find yourself alive. You're going to find yourself growing and experiencing all that God has for you. Would you stand today in God's presence? We just stand together. And for you, as this word goes out, I want you to receive it from him. Here's the whole sermon. The bottom line of it is daily dependency on God. Daily dependency on God is the difference between surviving and thriving in the wilderness. Daily dependency on God is a difference between surviving and thriving in the wilderness. And so for you today, I want you to make a commitment to the Lord. I want you to make a covenant with him, even in this moment. Lord, I'm, I'm not going to keep coming back looking for my weekly bread on Sunday and not thinking about you anymore. Lord, I'm going to come daily to you, Lord God, to consume your word, to be in your presence, Lord God, to look at everything I do, Lord, magnifying you in the midst of it. Lord God, I pray for your people right now, Lord God. Those that are seeing this, Lord, this is a freeing word for somebody, Lord God, because they've just been surviving, Lord. You're ready to lead them into a season where they can grow and reach the potential that you have for them, Lord. God. We thank you for the wilderness. We thank you for the seasons, Lord God, that are even trial, trying and difficult, Lord God, because you're developing something beautiful. So Lord, come and have your way in every heart and in every life. In Jesus' name. Amen. We're going to go back into that song we just, we, we just ended our worship time with here in God's presence. We're going to just spend a few moments pressing in. And I just invite you, if that's you, if God's speaking to your heart right now, that you just want to renew your commitment to him. You just want to be in his presence and just connect with him for a few moments. Let's just spend these moments. We have some time before our service would conclude. And after that's over, I'll come up and give you a few parting words. But let's just come right now down to the altar. Let's just press into the Lord. Let's just worship him right now. If you're walking through that season, if you're in a wilderness and you just need God's uh, fresh presence to touch you and meet you, let's just make this our cry and our worship unto God right now. Let's lift it up to the Lord. We hope you have been challenged and blessed by this message. For more information, visit us at evangelchurch.com.